Hi, I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! Woo! This week's topic is tissue states. Which, not Kleenex. <clears throat> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. This is one of the, the fundamental skills of the holistic herbalist. And uh, it's something that you really, really need to know. So you better stay tuned, right? <laughs> but first we have to say the thing. We are not doctors. We are herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States. So these discussions are for educational purposes only. Everyone's body is different. So the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but they will give you some information to think about and research more. We want to remind you that good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision in considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is always yours. All right. So, this week we have an excerpt for you from our Energetics and Holistic Practice course. It's all about tissue states. And these are the observable qualities of an injury site, or an organ in the body that's having some trouble, or any other trouble spot in, in the human body. Um, if you know how to identify the patterns of heat and cold, dampness and dryness, tension and laxity, that's a key step in the process of choosing the right herb for a problem. But fortunately, learning the basics is really easy. So in this section of our online course, we're talking about how each of these six fundamental tissue states looks, how it feels and how it behaves, as well as how one state might progress into another one. Because in the real world, of course, these are moving targets. Mm. So knowing, <clears throat> knowing a little bit about how one state is most likely to evolve into another makes you even better able to help with the right remedy at the right time. Yeah. The complete Energetics and Holistic Practice course includes a whole bunch of stuff. We've got classes in there about, <clears throat> about holism and vitalism. These are some not-so-new ideas about health and care and health care. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's about how to think like a holistic herbalist, how to align ourselves with what nature is doing and what the body is doing so that we can get the best results. We get, in this course, we get into constitutions, um, the ways we can see energetics playing out on the whole body level, both in world traditions from around the globe and through time, mm -hmm. and also in our modern practice, the way that Katya and I do it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we also do a deep dive on herbal actions and herbal tastes, which is information that can turn your mouth into a portable chemistry set. Uh, or maybe train you about how to use it. Yes, you already um, have it. Yeah, <laughs> you just yeah. need to know how to use it. Right. And, I mean, just imagine knowing just what effects an herb is going to have just by tasting it. It's not crazy talk. This it's is not. The normal day at the office. <laughs> yeah. It's not like our ancestors were just guessing. You mm -hmm. know, like today when we are trying to figure out what herb would be appropriate for our situation, we just like Google and hope. You know, like, I don't know, Google gave me multiple choice, I'll just pick one. Yeah. Like, this is like a test I didn't prepare for. Mm -hmm. But um, that's not how our ancestors did it, and that's not how we have to do it either. There is a system, you don't have to guess, you don't have to hope you got the right thing. If you learn it, then you will know it, and you'll know for sure that you're, that you're choosing the right herb for the right situation. Yeah. So like every course that we offer, uh, this one comes with lifetime access. Um, there's no like period of time where you have to yeah, do the whole thing and then it goes away from you. No, no, no. it doesn't expire. <laughs> as long as the internet's around, you'll be able to get to your class. Um, you also get access to weekly live Q&A sessions with us uh, on Tuesday or Thursday. Or Tuesday and Thursday. Both if you want to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's an integrated discussion feature right in the course so you can ask questions as they occur to you. There's some printable PDF materials. If you want to get old school and paper-based. Um, <laughs> we also give mp3s of all of the video class content so that you can take them with you wherever you go, just like you do with our podcast. <laughs> and we even offer a no-risk money-back guarantee, so what are you waiting for? Well, maybe they're waiting for a preview. All right. <laughs> so that's what this podcast episode is going to give you. Without further ado, let's get into it. So once we understand the constitution of the person that we're working with, the next thing that we need to establish uh, is the state that, of the local area, the tissue state, 
If they have a sprained ankle, for example, what is the state of that ankle right now? Or if there's a wound, a fever, a respiratory infection, we want to look at the area that's having the problem and figure out what, what is the state of that area. And this starts just with things that you can observe directly with your senses. You know, for your sprained ankle, you can see it, you can look at it, you can compare one, the sprained or the injured ankle to the one that wasn't. And you can say, boy, yeah, it's really swollen up. It's got a lot of extra fluid inside there and the skin's all kind of red. And hmm, those give us information about what's going on on the level of energetics or on the level of the tissue state there. The swelling and the stuck fluids tells us there's a dampness issue. The redness tells us that there's heat and you may even be able to feel excess heat coming off of the skin in that area. So again, it goes back to things you can observe directly. It's not like you have to have some kind of special powers or initiation or something. Yeah, yeah, technology, whatever. It's, it's just there with you the whole time. It's something that you just need to call out and bring forward. It, it's not not technology. It's just technology that you were born with. It's technology that is standard part of the human being. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So when we think of constitutions, remember we were saying it's like the climate and if we're comparing this to Arizona, um, then it is usually dry in Arizona. So as a whole, this person might usually be a particular way. When we're talking about tissue states, that's localized or it's in a, a local area of time. Mm -hmm. So that's like the weather for today, right? Even though it's usually dry in Arizona, sometimes it does rain. And so even though Rin is usually a reasonably dry person, uh, when he sprains an ankle, that area of his body gets damp and gets heated up and gets, you know, all the things that happen when you sprain an ankle. Mm. And in a similar way that if it, uh, say, rains in Phoenix, Arizona, that's very different from when it rains in Seattle, Washington, because one of those is usually a hot, dry place and the other is usually a cool, damp place, they respond differently to an extra expression of that particular state of rain or of dampness, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody who has a really dry body most of the time, but right now there's a localized area with a lot of extra stagnant fluid and moisture going on, that's going to express differently and it's going to require a different set of approaches than if there was somebody who tended towards dampness and now had an, an even more damp than usual sort of thing going on um, in, that same, in that same body. Uh, that might call for a different approach. Um, a very simple way to understand this is that if you are starting from a, from a place of dampness and you've got even more of it on top of that, that's the place where you can work with really dry herbs or really drying um, actions or, or therapeutics. But if you had somebody who was baseline dry and they were expressing some dampness right now, you have to be a little more careful not to overshoot the mark. And so you're going to be a little more restrained in the kind of choices you make. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you can see where having a really clear understanding of both the person overall and the localized area that we're trying to work with is going to help you make great choices about which herbs you should work with. Yeah. The words that we're going to use here to describe the tissue states are the exact same words that we used for the Constitution. Those words are going to be constant throughout our whole system because that's, that is our common denominator, right? If we are going to describe an area as cold, then we might say, hey, I should get a warm herb to balance out that cold state. And having the same descriptive words through all three areas really helps us to match things up appropriately. Yeah. So let's go through these one by one and get a few examples and kind of get our minds thinking in, the, in, this, uh, in this method or in this perspective. If we're talking about a hot tissue state or what we sometimes refer to as a state of excitation um, in a given area, what's that going to look like? Well, we might actually detect extra heat, you know, like I was saying with a sprained ankle or sometimes, uh, for instance, with a fever, the person's actual physical body temperature measured by mercury uh, or whatever digital thermometers use <laughs> is, going to, is going to be higher than usual, right? So literal physical heat is a heat sign, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? 
Um, but he... a, a burn would be a great example yeah. there too, because when you touch it, it's hot. But you also have that redness that goes along with it. And I bet that, that was what you were just about to go to, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So redness, right? Color. Um, redness, but also yellow. Um, you know, if you think about, say, the eyes or the tongue, um, if you see yellow coloration, like in the eyes or like on the coating of the tongue, that's also indicate, indicative of heat. So it's not just red, um, but you can see yellow, red, orange, fiery kind of colors. It makes sense <laughs> on, that, on that intuitive level. Okay, um, let's see. What else could be heat expressions? Um, itching is one. Mm -hmm. And in some ways you can think of that either as like the nerves themselves are kind of irritated and agitated and they're, they're sparking a bit. Or um, it could also be due to your body's sort of natural inflammatory processes getting turned up a bit too high. And that can show up as itching or it can show up as just obvious inflammation or swelling. Um, it can show up as pain in certain areas. Um, but itching is definitely one of those things where you see that and you're like, yeah, that's a, that's a heat sign. We've got to work on cooling that down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we think about heat... Um, anything that is excess, anything that is hyper-functioning or too excited or too agitated, all of those words also make us think about heat. So whether somebody is emotionally very agitated, in which case that might be heat in the nervous system, um, or whether there is like agitation on some organ level, like hyperthyroid, mm -hmm. the thyroid is moving too quickly, um, then that those are indications of heat in the system. Yeah, and it's true regardless of what the particular organ is. You know, if it's the heart or the cardiovascular system, there we're seeing an accelerated or a, or a fast heart rate, maybe high blood pressure because there's lots of force, lots of movement behind it. Um, but this could also be happening in, say, the bowels. If you just have really fast transit time and you're not really digesting your food because it just zooms through too quickly, that's a heat problem, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that, that degree of overactivation, overexcitation, um, things are, are speeding through too quick or, or they're turned up too fast or too high. Um, those are all going to be categorized as heat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know what, actually, before we move on to cold, I did want to make sure that with each of these states, we think about what that looks like on the level of the nervous system and the emotional uh, patterns as well, mm -hmm. because that's sometimes a little less obvious or a little less something that it's easy to see when you're starting out using this kind of terminology or this lens. So, you know, heat in the nervous system, heat in the emotions. There are some emotions and, and some nervous states that we think of as hot and fiery like the fight or flight state or like states of anger and frustration um, and outrage and fury and things like that. You know, like we always have like fiery kind of metaphors that go along with the way we describe those. Um, heat in the nervous system, it can manifest with insomnia. It's that like, I can't turn it off. I can't, I can't shut down, right? I can't rest and relax. Um, but also anxiety, just like everything is a little more agitating than usual and I'm not sure what to focus on and I'm just sort of everywhere all at once. Um, that's heat. It's not, it's not like focused and directed. It's dispersed in nature. Also in the nerves themselves, um, nerve pain is a heat state, especially when that pain is very stabby, any kind of sharp driving pain, um, or a burning type of pain. So it is possible to have pain in the nervous system that is cold. Um, but that would be more in the numbness kind of direction. Any heat kind of pain is jabby, stabby, ice pick kind of pain. Um, or electric. Yeah, yeah, buzzing sort of pain. Mm -hmm. And so you can think even of some symptoms of fibromyalgia, for example, um, and the way that that sort of pain is in the body, you can think of that and say, oh yeah, the way that people describe that frequently is heat. And not only that, but many, many people report that a cold shower or swimming in cold water or a cold pack re relieves that heat mm. so, or that, that pain in fibromyalgia. And we're talking here about palliative um, relief, but that's okay. Um, that helps us understand what we're working with. Yeah. And, you know, when we're thinking about things from this, from this perspective, 
oftentimes uh, one of the best ways to figure out what's going on for somebody is to say what actually makes you feel better, right? Mm -hmm. I just had a client yesterday who had a bunch of different things going on and had some itch and had some anxiety and had some insomnia and was already, you know, aware for herself that cold showers, swimming in cold water, ice packs, that these things were helpful. And so it made it very clear to me right up front that there was a, a problem of excessive heat in her in her system, and so we were going to need to choose cooling herbs if we wanted to bring that down. So you can often ask people like, okay, so you've got a headache. Well, does it feel better? Do you, do you want something warm on there, or do you want something cold? Mm -hmm. And that tells you something about the nature of what they're experiencing. In my body, I never want something cold. <laughs> Not ever. I don't even put ice in my water. I like, I mean, it can be a billion degrees out and I don't want to drink something out of the refrigerator. I want it to be room temperature. And if I have a headache, I never want cold on it, right? That's because I run cold and that, that constitution state in my body also tends to influence the type of pain I usually experience. Not that I haven't ever experienced hot pain. I've been burned, I've had, I've had cuts and, and wounds like that that certainly do have pain that feels like heat. But in general, in my body, pain tends more in a cold direction. So when we think about cold in the nervous system, that is that dull, throbbing, slow ache kind of pain. Um, and the kind of pain that even just the thought of cold makes you kind of curl up and, and like want to get away from it. Um, the kind of pain sometimes that is even caused by cold. Mm -hmm. uh, in the emotions for cold, then that, that also is very similar. You might see depression and it is the kind of depression that doesn't have a lot of energy behind it, right? Mm -hmm. The kind of depression that is sort of like, I'm just going to lay here on the couch because... I just can't even, you know? Um, so those, those sorts of, of feelings. And emotionally, uh, a person in a cold place might be withdrawn or they might, um, they might be sad or they might be, just have low feelings and they're less likely to react with a big burst of anger. Doesn't mean that it can't ever happen, but cold in the nervous system, cold in the emotions is that sort of low feeling place. Mm. Yeah, people of the cold type, if you do provoke them to anger, it takes a long time. But then once it has arrived, it's not going to go anywhere for a while either. Yeah, it's going to get stagnant. That yeah. anger is going to be stagnant. Yeah, it's going to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like nervous system and emotional expressions for cold. Um, other kinds of things that point, point us to saying like, oh yeah, the current state you're in there or the state of that that organ or that tissue as being cold. Um, we think about when things slow down, when function is depressed from its normal, normal baseline or its normal metabolic rate, when things are lower than that, um, like hypothyroid, mm -hmm. right? Where the person is usually physically cold, needs more layers of clothing than they used to before this, this became acute for them. Um, where there's uh, reduced metabolic rate, where there's reduced um, digestive secretions, and so they don't digest their food as rapidly or as thoroughly. Um, those would be cold patterns expressing in the, in the digestive tract. If it was, again, like the heart or the cardiovascular, that'd be a slow heart rate, low blood pressure, mm -hmm. um, slow circulation. Maybe the circulation isn't getting all the way out to your fingers and toes, right? Things are kind of stuck here in the middle. It's not moving with enough force or enough heat. To, to disperse and to move around. You know, I keep using this word dispersive for heat, like outward moving. Cold is the opposite of that. It's, it's condensing. It's inward moving. It's, it's like centralizing. So like any pair of opposites we're going we're gonna to encounter or talk about, we need to have both and we need to be able to move back and forth. But when one of them is aggravated, that's when it shows up with these kind of signs we're talking about. And just like heat had colors of like red and orange and yellow and, and fiery colors with it, Cold has kind of opposite tones, you know, it has blue and it has pale and whitish and, you know, just uh, like purpley colors, just like these, yeah. these cold types, these cold, cold palettes. Even if you're thinking about acute injuries and, and like how, how would you imagine what an acute injury that is cold would be like? Well, frostbite, but a bruise is cold too. A bruise is a, 
you know, and, and those are the colors that you see. You see the, the blue and the purple and the, you know, those dark colors because it's just hanging around in there being cold. Yeah. Um, and normally, like, even if, it, if you put your hand on a bruise, it's not, like, if you put your hand on a sprain or, or a break or anything like that, it's hot in that swollen area. But on a bruise, it's not. It's not necessarily colder than your, the rest of your skin, but it's, there's no heat going on in there. Hmm. Yeah. Any, really, any place that there's just a slowdown of function, even something simple like constipation or brain fog, you know, those are areas that are just slow. Brain fog, I suppose, can also be in a, in a, in a dry kind of place because you can't, you're so dry that it's all blowing away and you can't, like, pull it in. Yeah, it's not so yeah. much fog, though. That's like, I don't know. That's like, that's like a dust storm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. bit different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's cold. That's on the hot cold polarity. Um, so let's move on to damp and dry. So with dampness, uh, again, the major thing to look for is, is there a bunch of extra fluid hanging around in a given area? So the swollen ankle, or if there's edema, you know, like in both ankles or in the lower legs, there's all that stuck fluid in the area and you want to drain that out or squeeze that out somehow. Um, varicose veins fall into this category as well and hemorrhoids also hemorrhoids are just a varicose vein in a very specific location right but that but that's what's going on is a a weakness in the vein wall Hmm. so again like that's and when you look at them they're the varicose vein it's kind of bulgy and it like it's just very obviously a a water balloon you know (laughs) like like sort of a not all the way filled water balloon, but still, like, there's that water there. Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, just, like, retaining water or having, like, fluid bloating maybe around the belly or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, say, like, if you have a food allergen and you eat it, then you'll often get a bunch of, like, swelling around the belly, some extra fluid in the lymph nodes all around the guts here, and, you know, then you feel this, like, oh, it's just all stuck. It's not moving around very well. You feel yeah. uncomfortable. There's pressure that comes from that. So a lot of times the dampness and stagnation patterns like this can lead to some pain because the swelling causes some pressure on the nerves and that registers as pain. Um, so that, that can show up this way sometimes. Whatever. You know, you mentioned the lymph nodes and that makes me think also dampness shows up in the lymphatic system all the time. Anytime you have an infection, you will notice swelling in the lymphatic system and that's dampness. Now that's not necessarily a problem. That's what those lymph nodes are supposed to do. But it is an accumulation of dampness and it is something that we can help along, help on its way. And while we're up in in this area, although you do have lymph nodes all throughout your body, um, also thinking about sinuses and respiratory infections and many of those are really damp boggy situations Mm. i'm thinking about you know like a really entrenched bronchitis or you know just cruddy lung infection where you've just got big phlegm thick thick gross gurgly yeah every time you cough you can hear it like gurgling Mm -hmm. um yeah. That's a really that's a really damp kind of situation. And again, we can see some pain from that dampness, especially in the sinuses, because the pressure from the full sinuses, because they're filled with, with dampness, um, can really can really wreak havoc on your poor head. You know, you can show up with a crazy sinus headache and it's really just because of all this extra dampness. Conversely, in a dry situation, Um, especially, you know, right now there are so many fires, so many wildfires happening in so many places in the country and actually across the globe. And so when we do the live Q and a right now, we're getting so many questions about herbs to help support people through those situations. And all of that is dryness in the respiratory tract, right? You know, that just that arid, painful, um, irritated situation in the lungs, Uh, that actually can feel sharp and hot because it's so dry that it's become inflamed. It's become hot because it's so dried out. Yeah, yeah. And that's another idea that we will come to a little more thoroughly in a moment, but that oftentimes one state can lead into another. You can have cold leading to accumulations of dampness. You can have dryness leading to 
the sort of like friction leading up to heat and so these these are often going to like move into each other or connect one to the other mm-hmm. um yeah you know one other thing that can show up with dryness especially if it's extended over a period of time is what we call atrophy like a loss of function in an area uh, because we are we are wetware right? <laughs> <laughs> um humans and just like plants for that matter we need water in order to function well and to hold our structure and keep things keep things working the way they're supposed to so yeah we get kind of wilty yeah we don't have enough wilting is just exactly the right metaphor for it you know you see a plant it hasn't been watered for a while and it just it can't hold itself up and it flops right over and you know and and that happens in us too if there's a if there's an internal organ or if there's like muscle tissue or, or even the skin itself if it's not getting adequately circulated with fresh fluids then it starts to dry up and it starts to lose its ability to retain vitality and to exchange oxygen and do all the other things that a, that a hardworking cell needs to do in a day, <laughs> right? Um, and so it can start to, to atrophy and to be unable to perform those functions for you. So we don't want that. No. <laughs> and then, of course, the easiest expression of dryness to see is when it's in the skin and you have literal dry skin and maybe it's flaky um, you know, that's, that's the most obvious. And you look at that and you don't have any question. You're like, yep, there's dryness there. Yeah. Um, so it can be, it can really run in any of these directions. Yeah. I was going to say, but in the nervous system and emotionally, um, it might be a little bit more difficult to, to imagine what that's like. Damp or dry, either yeah. one. Um, and here, you know, for me, I always find it helpful to go towards like elemental, um, metaphors or descriptions. So we've talked about heat as a fire sort of a thing and cold sort of tracks with the earth element in the model that we work with where there's a lot of like structuring and building and solidifying and condensing going on. With damp and dry, um, you know, damp is about softening. It's about blending things together. Like if you paint with watercolors, you can mix the colors together with the water, right? Whereas dry is about hardening and separating. Um, in, our, in our front yard, there's a little stone walkway And then there's the yard with the grass and the soil and everything. And, you know, when it's rained maybe like three hours ago, you can see this really clear um, dichotomy between the dry, hard stone and the saturated, wet, muddy earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can really see how dryness does lead to hardening and separating and dampness leads to like softening and blending together. But even actually lately it hasn't rained so much. And so along the edge where the pathway is, the, the soil mm-hmm. has sort of dried and pulled away from it a yeah. little bit yeah. um, because I... it sort of sh- shrank up a little. Right. And if you, know, if you get a wound, right, if you get a cut on your, on your knuckle or something and it's kind of hard to bandage and you know, you're like, yeah, it's split open, but I can still work. Maybe you put a little salve on there, a little cream or something, and it kind of stays moist for a while. And then you go and you're working and you sort of forget. And then it's eight hours later and it's like dried out and split open again, right? And you can see it's kind of hard and crusty inside there. Same demonstration of that principle. Mm -hmm. So that was all just to get us into a space where we've got like a few other words to attach to dampness or dryness and see how those can play with emotions. So that idea of the the damp element or the water element on the emotional or the, the nervous system level, we're thinking of when things are softening and smoothing and when there's a little less of these like hard delineations between things and more of an ability to see those in-between spaces. So that's valuable. That's important. There's a lot of people like me who (laughs) could really stand to practice that and to like spend some time meditating on those concepts and trying to explore them and get fluent, which is exactly the right word for something fluid (laughs) Um, in that kind of a language and experience. However, like anything, if it's carried to extremes, then it can also lead to problems like not really knowing your own boundaries or not really being able to express your own opinions or your own positions on things. The water element and water type individuals or people who are like being dominated by water in a current moment, they tend to school like fish or they tend to be like water and take the shape of their container, right? Not so much like this is who I am and what I do, but what are, what are they doing? What are Mm -hmm. we, what are we up to? Oh yeah, sure. Let's do that. Just kind of going along with things. And, um, you know, again, in excess, that can lead to going along with things that you don't really want to or not feeling like you can speak out when you'd rather stop going along. Mm -hmm. So people run into that sort of issue. Mm -hmm. 
I think another place where there, where dampness shows in the emotions and also in the nervous system is that idea of sort of boggy stagnation um, when everything just feels oversaturated and it almost like there's no room for anything. Like kind of, if you imagine, you know, a beautiful clear running mountain stream and then you imagine the opposite of that, sort of like a stagnant pond and nothing is moving anywhere and it's all just sort of... Um, glommed you know like even mm -hmm. the top is kind of glommed together um that when your emotions start to feel that way and and like you can't stir them up it's just the same boggy feelings over and over again then that can be dampness in the emotional state kind of undifferentiated and so it's hard to move from one place to another yeah. because they all seem the same mm -hmm. yeah right so you know the dry states would be the opposite of that and like literal physical dryness in the nerves is a is a problem that many um, problems or conditions can arise out of. Um, on the physical level, the nerves are largely composed of of water and fat. Uh, particularly, I'm thinking of there's like a, a sheath uh, called the myelin sheath that sort of wraps around the nerve tissue itself and protects it and helps to convey the signals from one nerve to the other. And it's super important, but um, we can run into a lot of problems with that. Uh, some autoimmune disorders, the immune system starts attacking that tissue. But even some um, states of just kind of a malnutrition issue can lead to, to dryness affecting the nerves on a, on a literal physical level because you don't have the right kind of fatty acids to construct a healthy myelin sheath and to keep the water in, in place there and everything. And then that leads to these kind of like sparky, intermittent um, communication disorders where maybe you have some like sharpshooting pains and then they disappear for a while and you're like what what, what happened right <laughs> and then it comes back later and now maybe you're losing feeling and then it feels like pain and then it tingles and then it's gone again and it's these things that change rapidly and are inconsistent and have a lot to do with um like a failure of communication maybe maybe touch is being interpreted as pain somewhere along a broken chain of communication um so that's like a, a physical sort of issue um, that would be a matter of dryness in the, the nerve tissue itself. Dryness in emotions is going to be, again, kind of the opposite of the damp states, right? So where damp was like blending and mixing and smoothing and softening, dry is going to be hardening and delineating and blocking things off from one another, which you need to do a little bit, right? You need to know what your boundaries are. You need to be able to say this is self and that is other and... You know, maybe we can dance together, but I can also know what parts are going home with me at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, but again, it's easy to get uh, carried away too far with that and to be too caught up in making things, uh, you know, black or white or this or this or that, but no in between. Um, and that, that we think of that maybe more as a state of mind or a state of like, the way you view the world, but in, in many ways that is an emotional pattern, just mm -hmm. as much as a, as a mental one. Mm -hmm. Another place that we see this dryness happening, both in the nervous system and in the emotions, and actually also in the end, this crossover to the endocrine system here, is any time that you would describe yourself as fried or frazzled, right? If you imagine uh, of a rope that was frazzled or frayed at the end, that's, that's dryness. I suppose you could then dip it in water and it wouldn't be dry anymore, but <laughs> that's dryness. And I think it's really great that we use these words in our everyday speech. You know, oh, I am so fried. You know, like I am dried out. I am wrung out. I don't have anything left. I'm completely depleted. I don't have any more resources. And so when we see an emotional state where someone is not able to recover from, from something negative happening and they don't have the emotional resources to be resilient, that's a dry state. Mm -hmm. Or when they're just so tired and they don't have enough, they don't have enough reserve to be able to call on it in a time of need, that is a dry and depleted state. Yeah, and sometimes that makes it difficult even to rest effectively, mm -hmm. right? Like you're always a little bit on edge or a little bit like 
a little bit like just unable to stay centered or to, to relax all the way down. Um, you know, so if, if dampness is the water element, dryness is going to be the air element and air is restless. Air likes to move. Air, mm -hmm. air is hard to keep a hold of or to keep still in one place. Um, and Hey, we need movement. We need change. We need circulation, but, uh, an inability to settle and to center sometimes yeah. <laughs> is really a, a big problem. And, uh, yeah, so dryness, you know, it can lead to tendencies to, to ramble or to be escapist in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so those would be some of the kind of, uh, patterns that we would observe there as well. And you might think, hold on a second, rigidity and rambling seem really opposite to me. But if you think about dryness in nature, different things can happen. You can have a tumbleweed that literally goes rambling, or you can have clay that dries itself out and sort of compacts itself into a little brick or into a, a clop of, like a clod of clay. I don't know what yeah. that actual word is. But... Yeah, like in the desert with the, the yeah, cracks where all they over get the, the... Yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly what I'm thinking. And that <coughs> is sort of a compressed state of dryness. <coughs> Bless Sorry. you. <laughs> That's sort of a compressed state of dryness, and it doesn't really blow around, you know? So, like, or you can even imagine two different deserts in your mind, you know? You can imagine Death Valley with those, with those cracks in between and everything is sort of compacted and hardened, or you can imagine, like, the, like a dunes kind of desert, like the Sahara, and, and that it's just all fine pieces of sand that shift around in the wind. And so even though those have a little bit of a different end, end result, they're still both being caused by dryness. So how would you understand that? How would you look at that and say, ah, I don't know? Well, because it's not just the dryness that we're looking at. We're looking at the dryness in the context of the person it's in. And so um, when we see dryness... Uh, and we see a person who maybe already has a tendency to some rigidity or already has a tendency to some of those aspects, then more dryness in the emotional, in the emotional system, right? The nervous system, the endocrine system, all the, all the different parts of the body that interact to create emotions, um, that may then result in an exacerbation of that rigidity. Whereas if it's a person who already was a little bit of an airhead if you can imagine you know we use that's a phrase we use and so somebody who already was maybe you know in that direction just a little bit but usually sort of like kept it together but then they get exacerbated by dryness then that person is gonna be like way scattered or way or very escapist or rambling or any of those sort of um blow away type air uh dryness aspects yeah cool so we've got damp and dry then so, so our last pair is tension and laxity mm -hmm. so tension in a in a given part of the body especially somewhere muscular that's pretty obvious you can feel it being tense and tight and or you hard. can see a person who's holding a lot of tension you know yeah. um you know, when we spoke about, about the whole body or the whole constitution, we thought about, like, the very rigid, upright, like, this is how I sit in chairs, sort of tense person, and the, like, slack, loose, I'm just here, man, kind of uh, excessively lax situation. Um, so you can see one person that has a mixture of these, and, and most people do, if for no other reason than a lot of the muscle groups in our bodies work with opposite pairs, right? Like you've got a bicep and a tricep and they have like one is tight and the other one loosens and they have this back and forth um, relationship with them. Or your diaphragm expands down and you inhale and then there's these transverse muscles here that squeeze it back out again when you exhale, if you're doing your belly breathing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of places in the body where we can get ourselves into a state where one member of those pairs is super tight all the time and the other one is a little bit loose all the time because it's never really fully engaged and that's bad for both of them right mm. because in order for the muscles to be healthy they need to go through their whole range of motions so that blood is squeezed through every little inch of the blood vessels that those muscles are next to and that's going to move lymph along. That's going to keep your fluids circulating. So there's a lot of connection between problems of 
tension or imbalances of tension and problems of fluid stagnation or, or dryness, right? Stagnation because you've captured some fluid in an area and it can't get out again. Dryness because you've squeezed off the entry into an area and fluids can't get there in the first place. So again, there's like a, this matter of relationship between the tense state and dryness or dampness, depending on where, where it is in the body and what else is going on there. I'm thinking about carpal tunnel syndrome as a really nice. good example of that like over tension in one area and some laxity in the other or, or underdevelopment might be another word that you could use. So, you know, so much of our lives we spend with our hands kind of in this position or in this position or in this position, you know, like these are all very similar Driving. action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That everything is being turned inward all the way from the shoulders down. But when there's a lot of typing, for example, um, then there are certain muscles that are super contracting to be able to keep everything in that place. And they're not having their corresponding um, relaxation time or stretching out time. And so that is creating too much tension in one set of the muscles and sort of an underdevelopment in the other set of muscles. And now, of course, it's much less common for them to do surgery on carpal tunnel and much more common for them to send you to physical therapy, recognizing that this is an overdevelopment and underdevelopment pair problem. Um, but there's a lot that we can do with herbs to support that as well, to help support both a relaxation of that tension and a return to flexibility um, in the area. So there's a lot, there's a lot that can be done. And that's not the only example of that, but it's just a very sort of easy to see example of that pairing. Yeah. So, you know, muscles, connective tissues, we sort of expect and understand there to be tension versus laxity problems there. But we can also see tension and laxity internal to the body. And one place where this is super important, and, and it's going to be both ends of this pairing, is in um, your mucous membranes or in... Uh, barrier tissues inside the body. So mucous membranes is like in your sinuses, in your throat, inside your ears, down in your lungs, um, in your whole GI tract and you know the urinary tract all the way through. You've got these mucous membranes where most of, the, most of them you've got a tube of <laughs> some wavily wiggly kind right and then you've got some uh, like the meat of your body is on the other side of that tube right. Okay. So that's a, that's a type of a barrier, um, and the intestinal barrier is a thing that obviously we have a lot of interest in, and a lot of, um, a lot of problems originate when that barrier is too leaky, or is compromised, or you know, is extra inflamed, or whatever else is going on. Um, there's also barriers like the blood-brain barrier, or like the barrier of the skin itself, which, you know, barrier sort of implies like impenetrable, but none of these are that way at all. They're... It's more like a filter with a regulator, you know, like yeah. imagine if you could have a filter that could like strain your pasta and it would have like the wide holes or it could strain your coffee and you could like adjust it to have very tiny holes, right? Nice. That's what these barriers, these permeable membranes in our body actually can do. They can decide how large they want the holes to be and how fine they are filtering the things that are supposed to be flowing through them. Yeah. Well, they should be able to do that. <laughs> but we can run into a bunch of problems. So like if, if those barriers are too tense or too closed down, then if it's the GI tract, then it's hard for you to absorb nutrients from your food. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's the, um, the sinuses, then it could be that they um, got too closed down, too, too tight, and now the fluids can't flow through from inside out. And so you can't actually produce helpful mucus, right? <laughs> the kind of thing that helps you to expel the pathogens and just blow your nose and get all that crud out of you. If you get too tense, uh, which often again follows from a, a dry state here, then it's not gonna, it's not gonna work effectively, right? Um, follows from or induces a state of dryness because these mm -hmm. things, they, they're like multi-directional streets. Yeah, they can flow into each other. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, constriction or, or tensity affecting mucous membranes or, or barriers is going to be like that. Um, laxity, on the other hand, is where those pores are too open or things are 
just oozing, right? So like if instead of not instead of having like dry sinuses, you had ones that were just flushing. There was just <laughs> water coming through. It wasn't really snot even. It's just yeah. like it's super thin, thin and yeah. watery. And, it, right. you know, you sort of, you're the kind of person who doesn't ever leave home without a handkerchief or like four. That's, <laughs> you know, that's just like that too much laxity in those mucous membranes of just like, yeah. a, like a drippy faucet. Right. Okay. So, you know, tension, it could also be impacting the way that blood moves around the body. It could be impacting yes. the way that bile flows through and out of the liver and into your, your digestive tract. So the basic idea with, with tension patterns and tension, tension problems or tension states is that it impairs the flow in the body. And that can be flow of fluids like we've just been describing, but it can also be flow of like nerve signals. So if I have... Uh, what are they called it? Thoracic output syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Where it basically means you've got a lot of tension in your shoulders and your neck and everything's <laughs> getting squeezed up in here. Then like it's hard for nerve signals and for blood supply to flow down to my arm. And so it starts to go, hey, hey, it's something's wrong over here, right? And I get pain shooting up into there. So that, it can even just be numbness. It can be sort of like, hey, well, we've clamped everything down up here. And it doesn't even have to look all weird. It could just be because you wear a bra that's too tight. Um, but if you clamp everything off at the source, then you're just not getting enough into the, into the whole arm. And when nerves don't have fresh oxygen and all the other nutrients that they require, they get numb. They, yeah. sort, of, they sort of fall asleep, just like you do when you're in an office building that doesn't have good air circulation. You know, you get really tired. Mm. It's just the same in your nerve cells. Yeah. And this affects all your internal organs as well, you know, and that can be a, a, like a combination pattern where there's some muscular tension, there's some internal tension, there's a few other things contributing. And now you're, you're not, you're not moving freely. Maybe you're really stiff. Maybe like your whole upper body moves as one unit instead of allowing you to bend and twist and get everything really like a little bit of hula going on, right? <laughs> like here you're preventing those tissues from stretching and bending and and you know moving around in such a way that all their fluids get exchanged and circulate a lot of your internal organs kind of act like like sponges like they will have fluid exchange but they need a little bit of squish to happen in order for it to to take place yeah. and if you don't like move and bend and twist your body freely then those those things don't move around yeah, and so... you're never wringing out your sponge so it can't ever soak up new stuff right yeah, and so then they're just again they're not going to be they're not going to be functioning too well, right? And now you're moving in that dryness direction, you're moving in that atrophy direction. So, yeah, we're seeing how that plays in. You know, tenseness uh, in the emotional state is also one that's fairly easy to recognize because we see it a lot. You know, somebody gets very tense, and we we know right off what that looks like. We that, it's a word that's very common in our in our language. Um, laxity in the emotional state, though, can be a little bit more elusive. Like, what does that look like? You know, you might think of somebody who's just too chilled out. Um, and that's, that's true. But also a person who just sort of can't get any traction, mm. um, who can't, can't quite get themselves to, just can't quite get it in gear, if you think about that. And maybe that's just because I drive a stick shift car, but that's that's a sort of um, thing, a feeling that I'm very familiar with. That sometimes that you can't quite like it just doesn't quite connect. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's a useful metaphor because it's speaking to like that that state or that that identified um, you know state of laxity in a problematic uh, context. That's agnostic about whether the person is hot or cold or damp or dry or whatever else, right? Like maybe they're, the engine's revving and they've got a lot of heat and fire, but they can't seem to do anything with it because mm -hmm. there's not enough of a, of, a, of a traction or of a grip or something yeah. to, to keep that moving. So it's just like slipping away because it's too loose to hold on. Yeah. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah, laxity. So I think we described a few states of laxity. Um, I mean, you can have more like gross scale states of laxity like say maybe you just um your internal organs are not really in the right place like in here you've got a bunch of connective tissues and uh things that pretty much hold your organs where they belong like a bunch of bungee cords in the inside <laughs> in there right but if they're too loose and slack then things start to follow gravity and they flump down and they start to put pressure on your bladder and 
things can even start to sort of fall out of place a bit. And, um, you know, the, the extreme versions of this are things like uterine prolapse, um, which can literally mean that parts of your inside are coming onto your outside and, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so laxity there is, that's, that's just exactly what we're looking at. Um, but I'd say probably more often we see laxity in the mucous membranes or in those matters of barrier function, um, or just in that, that like inability to really engage productive tension, Mm -hmm. right? We need to have that, that healthy balance of tension and relaxation if we want to, if we want to move anywhere, if we want to get anything Mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just mechanics. I would say also, um, maybe one other emotional example is that, um, in a too relaxed or a too lax state, that's also um, not having any filter or having a filter that is too stuck open, ah, yes. right? And so that might be exter- like um, in terms of output, and we use that phrase to describe people, oh, that person has no filter. You know, like they're going to say all kinds of things and they might not be socially acceptable. Or, but that can also be input. A person who has a filter that is too lax um, may be more prone to anxiety or more prone to feeling overwhelmed because they're not able to effectively strain out the things that don't apply to them um, or create a good tight barrier to keep some things from coming in. Whereas a person who has too much tension in the nervous system or in the emotional aspects they may have their filter so clamped down that they can't be receptive to new ideas. Mm. And um, believe it or not, these things actually do respond really well to herbs. So when we get to the nervous system, we're going to talk a lot about how to work with that. But um, Yeah, and if you've gone through the Materia Medica course already, then you know that we speak about the physical and emotional and mental and spiritual aspects of herbs pretty much interchangeably because... Well, it comes out of this out of this very concept that we can understand heat on a physical level, but also an emotional one and a mental one, and all the way out to a spiritual one. And it's the same with each of these qualities. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So herbs herbs uh, operate on the entire holistic human. They don't just choose your physicality or your mentality or whatever right. else to to affect. They don't check your gender before they go to work. They don't check. They don't check any of that stuff. They just they do what they do, and so because of that, um, even before we get to the nervous system videos, you can already start thinking. Well, wait a minute. That's a tense situation. That's too much tension. In the emotional place, maybe I need an herb that can increase flexibility. What are some herbs that I know that can do that? Oh, wait, Solomon Seal helps with that. And then you could just go ahead and start even before we get to the part in the nervous system where we tell you, yes, Solomon Seal will help with that. (laughs) Um, So, Or the same with someone that is not having a really good filter and feeling a little too lax in their in their um sort of emotional state you could say well gee what kind of what kind of tightening up herb could i think of oh maybe something astringent oh maybe something like ladies mantle might be a good choice yes it might yeah so cool and that's why you know that's why learning this stuff is so important because if you come across something you've never seen before it doesn't depend on whether or not you've memorized what herb might be good for a situation. You can now, um, it's kind of like, you know, when I was in, I don't know, geometry or something in high school, I had a teacher whose name I should remember, um, and I don't, but I'm still very grateful to them, who always said, it's not important to memorize the formula, it's important to understand the formula. Because if you understand it, you can rebuild it. But if you don't understand it, then even memorizing it is sort of precarious because you don't understand why it works. And it's the exact same with herbs. If you understand these foundational things, these, the state of the, the constitution of the person and the state of the thing that you're trying to work on, the illness, the injury, the whatever, the tissue state, then you can make really good choices, even if it's something that you've never seen before and you don't have experience with, well, then you're going to say, well, gee, I've never seen this before and I don't have experience with it. But what I do see here is I see a bunch of dryness and I don't know if it's going to work, but we could try some marshmallow root because I know that that's going to be moistening. And 
the likelihood is that you're probably going to provide some effective help, even if you don't take care of all of the everything, even that is still probably going to be quite helpful. So it's just nice to be able to logic it out from, from the start. Now, when you're actually dealing with real living people, you're going to see that you don't tend to just get one single clearly defined tissue state all by itself for you to work with and make it nice and easy. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. And that's true both in place, but also in time. So it's very frequently the case that you have somebody and they have uh, maybe some dampness in one part of the body and dryness in another part or heat over here and cold over there. And so you're going to need to be working in such a way that your herbs have a little more specificity, a little more like of a, of a targeted aspect to it so that you can warm up this part, but you can help that other part to stay the way it is or, you know, you're going to be juggling those kind of concerns. So that's like a spatial issue. But there's also questions about how this plays out over time. Uh, very frequently, you're going to have somebody that progresses through multiple different tissue states over the course of an illness. And, you know, a short-term example of that could be if you, if you catch a cold. So let's, uh, or the flu, even better. Let's mm. imagine how that might progress. So maybe um, you're extra sedentary or, or weighed down or sluggish or... You're just very in a, in a low energy sort of a state, maybe because something else exhausted you. But for whatever reason, you're in a, what we'd call a cold state right now, right? Everything's kind of slow. It's heavy. It's stuck. Things aren't moving or flowing. There's not a lot of fire in your body. That... And, and just to interrupt, that can happen even to a person who usually runs warm. You know, you just get a little run down sometimes. Yeah. So uh, the trouble is that when you're in a cold state, you're more likely to catch a infection, like in this case, the flu, a respiratory issue. Um, so now you start to get sick and your body begins to respond and hopefully you start to mount a fever because your fever is your best offense against the infection. So now you make a big hot fever that night and you've gone from a cold state to a hot state, right? Your body's producing all of this heat and all of this fire. Okay, now in the course of your fever, you're not really, um, you don't have much of an appetite, maybe it's tr hard to drink things, maybe you get some nausea, and so you start to not be taking in new fluids while you're also sweating out a bunch of fluids, and you're going through a sort of transient state where there's a lot of dampness or a lot of moisture movement in the body, mostly moving out. <laughs> <laughs> so now you get uh, dried out, right? You start, you lose that water and now you start to get dehydrated. And so we went from cold to hot to damp, flowing to dry. Um, and hopefully we're going to, we're going to wind that back. We're going to moisten you back up again some way. And then we're going to cool you down after the heat fever has done its job. And then you're going to settle down, but you're going to hopefully recover to a place where you have some good, healthy warmth again, mm -hmm. right? So that's sort of a, an acute situation where that may happen, but this does also play out over the longer term. Um, very frequently, chronic illnesses can sap somebody's vital fire over time, and we see them getting colder, you know, as time goes on. Um, a number of illnesses dry people out over time. There are uh, pharmaceuticals that can have th these kinds of effects. Um, short shortcut here is that most pharmaceuticals are very strongly drying. Um, there's other qualities that they may have as well. Um, but so, you know, we're going to see these shifts of somebody's, um, tissue state or of their whole body state, you know, as they go through an illness on a short or a long scale. And so when you're watching that happen, don't be surprised, you know, to be like, wait, but I thought I was dealing with this. It's totally normal. It's totally okay. If that, if what you're seeing in the tissue state is changing over time. And all you have to do is keep reevaluating. Look at what's in front of you. Say, you know, Paul Bergner always used to say, treat what you see. Mm -hmm. And of course, as herbalists, we don't use the word treat because that's a medical um, word. That's a medical verb. Um, but we definitely work with what we see. And so if right now what you see is a person having a fever, then you work with that fever. And if tomorrow what you see is a person who got a little bit dried out, then you work with that situation. And you even can start to kind of um, predict how things will go. As you're looking at somebody who's getting really hot with their fever, you can be thinking ahead and saying, 
hey, when they start to sweat this out, they may come out of the other side a little on the dehydrated side. So if they're very nauseous right now and I can't get them to drink anything, then I should maybe put them in the bathtub or do something else to help them hold on to some of that fluid. Mm. So these are, these are, if you know that these sorts of transitions are coming, then you can work to correct them ahead of time so that they don't ever swing too far out of balance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, sometimes these sort of tissue states are going to be very localized, like just right in one spot. If I get stung by a wasp, mm -hmm. then I'm going to get a welt, and it's going to be red, and it's going to be swollen, and it's going to be inflamed. So we have a hot and a damp state going on there in that little area. No problem. Really localized. But sometimes... And, and actually, to interrupt you, um, when you have a state like that, it is best to address it right in that location. So if a person has a bee sting and they don't have a pervasive allergy to bee stings, they're just having that, you know, red welt right now, then it's going to be way more effective to deal with it right topically than it is going to be to drink some tea and wait for it to get all the way through the system to that localized place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, sometimes, especially in a chronic illness, it can, it can play out such that a sort of tissue state starts to spread <laughs> and, and uh, maybe even spreads to the entire body. And now it starts to shift uh, that person's constitution or the, the presentation of, of these kind of things that, that, that you're going to be seeing from them. I have a really good example of that, actually, uh, with a client I have right now. And... Uh, she is currently a little overweight. She has a very sedentary but stressful job. And um, she's having a lot of headaches, a lot of migraines, and has some unaddressed food allergies. And just overall, her whole body is looking cold and damp. She's puffy um, and, and has some edema. Uh, mild, but, but it's, it's definitely visible. And... Um, so this is the state that I met her in and I made an assumption that she, that constitutionally she was running cold and damp, which right now it looks like she is, but she's been in this state for 10 years and, be, and with this stressful job and, and the whole story. But before that, what I didn't know until I talked to her about it was that she used to be very athletic. She used to always be the warmest person in the room. This whole, like, I feel cold a lot of the time is very unusual for her. And even though it's been almost 10 years of this, like, un unhealthy state for her, she still sees it as abnormal in her body because she remembers herself as being a very warm person, a very vigorous person, a very, like, jump up and go kind of person. And... But because I didn't know her then, I didn't realize that that's what her underlying constitution really was. Because, it, because this chronic state has become so pervasive that it seems to have taken over her whole body. Again, in that kind of a situation, you don't have to panic. You can, and this is one place where I just love herbs because we're not doing um, big, dangerous, like there's a point of no return type of work. All the work that we're doing is very supportive. So I can take the state that she's in right now and say, wow, this person is looking really cold and really stagnant and we need to get things warmed up and get things moving again. And that's what I see right now. So that's what I can work with. And over time, if we get her back to a place that is to her more recognizable as her actual constitution, then we can start saying, okay, I'm seeing you warm up. Now I want to slow down a little. I don't want to push you too far into the warm, mm -hmm. but you don't have to be too afraid if what you're seeing might be not the whole story. Because just like when you walk into a kitchen that has a giant pile of dishes and empty pots on the stove and, you know, so the trash is full, you just start doing something, right? You just start washing something. You just start cleaning something. It's the same with herbs. 
you, you look at what you see. If what you see is cold and damp, you just start working. And then you continually reevaluate so that as things are shifting, which you expect them to do and which you want them to do, as things are shifting, that you are shifting your strategy to meet it. Okay, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that. Uh, remember, you get a lot more in the complete energetics and holistic practice course. So bounce on over to that. The link's in the show notes. And give it a look. And as always, you can find all of our course offerings at commonwealthherbs.com slash learn. Mm -hmm. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Holistic Herbalism Podcast. Until then, drink your tea and take care of yourself. Bye. Bye. Bye.